The epistle lesson for the fifth Sunday in Lent comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. We'll read uh, verse 4b through verse 14. In this epistle lesson, the Apostle Paul teaches us what is really worth taking confidence in. Please stand as you are able for God's holy word. From Philippians 3, beginning at verse 4b, we read in Jesus' name. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So you think you're a good person. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you know that you're bad. That's good. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Don't check out completely yet. The rest of us will pick you up on our way through. But those of us who think that we're good persons. Baptized on the eighth day, or at least sometime in the first month. A Lutheran of Lutherans. <clears throat> An American of Americans. As for zeal, a Democrat of Democrats, or a Republican of Republicans, whatever you think it's good to be, that's what you are. As for the commandments, a rule follower. As for church attendance, regular. As for devotions, daily. As for radio, Christian. As for oil changes, every 3,000 miles. As for library books, returned on time. And as for the speed limit, no more than five over. You get the idea. Whatever you think is important, you do it well. And this might be different for everybody. I think it probably is. Whatever you think is the most important thing, you do it well. Whatever kind of person you think you should be, that's what you are. Of course, it's always easier to be the kind of person that we think we should be rather than the kind of person that somebody else thinks we should be. And if you squint really hard, it might look like you're pulling it off. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul has more. He 
was everything a good Jew was supposed to be. He was circumcised on the eighth day. That is exactly to the day when they were supposed to be circumcised. None of this wait for grandma to come home from her cruise thing. And Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. That was one of two tribes that remained in the southern kingdom. The northern tribes had long ago been conquered by the Assyrians and dispersed around the world. And any of the Israelites who remained or happened to return after that uh, destruction, they still carried a little bit of that stink on them. The southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, that's where you wanted to be from. Because those tribes, they were only disciplined by Babylon and then returned to the land. Their nation wasn't completely destroyed. Paul was from this tribe of Benjamin. His Greek name was Paul, but his Hebrew name was Saul. And so he was apparently named after the first king of Israel, King Saul, who was also from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a true Israelite. As for obedience to the commandments, he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, they were strict rule followers. They measured out every tithe and they counted their steps on the Sabbath day. They examined every commandment to figure out the most effective way to keep it. And so they established these traditions and lived by them strictly and orderly, ensuring that they would never break the commandments. And he was a persecutor of the church. Later, of course, Paul would be ashamed of this, but before his conversion, Christianity was a great threat to his form of Pharisaic Judaism. It needed to be opposed. It needed to be persecuted. And Paul was zealous enough to do it. This earned him major credibility with the other Pharisees. Paul was not just a Pharisee. He was an inner circle Pharisee. Paul lived then a disciplined, righteous, commendable life. He was the kind of person that we would have admired. Now, I have in my mind, as an ideal, a picture of a well-ordered and righteous life. You develop the right habits that help you do the right things all the time. You go to bed early, and so you get up early. You cook from scratch, and you eat the right things. You read your Bible and pray at the same time every day. You exercise, you clean your kitchen every day, you read books, you manage your money well. If you have kids, you play with them, read to them, teach them the catechism, and put them to bed at the right time. You structure your life with so many good things that there's barely even an opportunity for sin or failure. I am not one of these people, but I admire those who are. And I think most of us do admire people like this. They have the discipline and self-control to be healthy, happy, and successful. That was Paul, except even more so. People looked at him, and not only did they think, I admire that guy, but they even thought, God must admire that guy. <laughs> Paul even says of his former self, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's the way that the Jews thought back then. If anyone could have earned God's favor, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But as Paul looks back on his resume, he's not that proud of it. In fact, he's ashamed of it, and he considers it 
rubbish. The word rubbish could mean garbage, or it could even mean something a little bit more organic. That which Paul once thought was gain to him, he came to view as loss, negative. We should, we should consider what he means by that word loss, because it's really quite surprising. Rubbish and loss are not neutral words. It's not like the things he once thought were a benefit to him are now just worthless, zero value. It's really much worse. They have negative value. That's what the word loss means. It's negative. Rubbish has a negative value. Whether we're talking about garbage collection or sewage, we pay people to take it away from us. It's not neutral in value. It's not worthless. It's less than worthless. And Paul doesn't consider just one or a few of these things on his resume to be rubbish. But all of it, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now we can probably understand if he's ashamed of persecuting the church. He thought he was doing a good work, but it turned out to be quite evil. We can understand if he's ashamed of that, but he counts everything as loss. Every item on his resume has negative value. None of these things brought him closer to God's favor. They didn't even leave him in the same place. Every single one of them took him farther away from God's favor. Even his obedience to God's commandments took him farther away because it enticed him to trust in himself. That is a sin against the first commandment. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what makes our good works so sinful. If we trust in something other than the one true God, and we often trust in ourselves, we violate the first commandment. If we take confidence in who we are or something we have done, we put ourselves in the place of God. For Jesus Christ to be our God means that he is our righteousness. He is our Savior. If we find confidence in anything about ourselves, our identity, our works, or even our faith, if we think that that is something that we do, we are robbing God of his rightful glory. There's nothing more offensive to God than to think that you have something to offer him as if he should be impressed with it. Our good works, if we have any confidence in them, and that could mean that God is impressed with them or that they just get us a little bit closer to him than some other people. If we find any confidence in them, that is a violation of the first commandment and an offense to God. So I'm going to say something here, and it's going to sound weird, and if you understand it wrongly, you'll make me a heretic, so please don't understand me wrongly. We should repent of our good works. By that, I do not mean that we should stop doing good things. Our neighbors still need our good works. By repent, I mean that we should repent of the confidence 
we have in them. Instead, we should despair of them. What's on your resume? What have you done that you secretly think God should be pleased with? Repent of it. Despair of it. When we confess our sin before God, we come with all that we are and all that we have done. And we don't distinguish between the good and the bad. It's not like we say to God, well, here's some good stuff, but please don't look at that bad stuff. Please forgive me for the bad stuff. No, we confess all of it. Even the things that seem to us to be good works, we despair of. Please don't look at any of it. Take it all away. Look upon me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing I have that has any positive value. So Paul despaired of all of it. And he desired to be found in Christ. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. You have a much better righteousness. We are free to despair of our own righteousness. All of those things that we hold on to and take pride in, we can let them go. They're worthless. They're less than worthless. And we can let them go for free because our Lord Jesus Christ gives us something better. He gives us his righteousness. And it's free, completely free. He takes our negative value rubbish away from us and he puts his perfect righteousness in its place. To gain Christ means to gain his crucifixion and his resurrection. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. To gain Christ means to gain his crucifixion and resurrection. All of that becomes ours. We share his death. We become like him in his death. Not in our deaths, but in his death. We die in him. That's what baptism does. It buries us with Christ. We do this without actually dying in our own bodies. We die through Christ's death. The benefits of that death are given to us. Your sin, which includes everything that you think is good, is crucified, paid for, and destroyed in the death of Christ. That's what you get through Jesus' crucifixion. All of your negative rubbish is taken away. And if we gain his death, well, then we also gain his resurrection. If by faith we share in his crucifixion, we will also share in his resurrection. And this is the prize, the great prize that Paul speaks of. There's nothing else worth seeking. The positive value of this far exceeds the negative value of all of our rubbish. Can we even imagine this? No, we can't. This is far beyond too good to be true. It is literally unbelievable, and yet it's true. The prize we receive is everything Jesus deserves, the resurrection he deserves, yours, the glory he deserves, 
yours. His kingdom, yours. At Christ's return, your dead body will be raised from the dead. It will be transformed, and it's not going to go back to the way it is when you die. It won't even be reverted back to your best possible state in this life. It will be transformed into absolute perfection. Your spirit will be transformed too. All of the angst and sin and sloth that we experience in this life, gone. Our spirits will be transformed into perfection. Not only will you do what is right, you'll enjoy it too. This prize will not fade. It is the eternal gift of God. It is exactly what Jesus deserves as the pure and sinless Son of God. He receives it and he shares it with you and with all who trust in him. The value of this is indescribable, immeasurable. We talked about the negative value of all of our rubbish. The positive value of the prize far exceeds the negative value of our rubbish. This is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the mindset that the Apostle Paul learned to live with. And it makes the sufferings of this life worth it. It makes all the striving of this life worth it. It makes even obedience to God's commandments worth it. And there's a paradox here. Before gaining Christ, Paul strived with all of his effort to obtain righteousness under the law. And then it was just given to him as a free gift. But he didn't stop striving. It wasn't the end of work or effort. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on to receive what is already here, what is already his. And that's the paradox. That's where we are in this life. We have not yet obtained this resurrection. We have not yet been made perfect, except all of this does belong to us because the complete and perfect righteousness of Jesus has been given to us. If we have died with him, and if we have his righteousness, then his resurrection is guaranteed to us. And we can have confidence in this. We press on to make it our own because Jesus Christ has made us his own. You belong to him. He redeemed you. It's not the end of all work or effort then, but it's the end of our efforts to please God. It's the end of our efforts to earn something. All of that was rubbish. But Jesus gives us real confidence. We know that we belong to him. We know that his resurrection is promised to us. We press on in joyful obedience, knowing that we will receive the promised prize. Your efforts are rubbish. Mine are too, of course. Jesus took that rubbish, all of that rubbish. He took that rubbish on the cross. And he gives to you his righteousness instead. You live in that righteousness now, and you will share in his resurrection on the last day. This is the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.